0: I'm uh, Will Levice. This is Eric Claville. You tune into Levice and Claville, where we give it to you straight talk, just the way it is from a black male's perspective. So let's get right to it on today's show. Social engineers, how HBCU grads has helped shape the 2020 political landscape. So Eric with Kamala Harris, our university grad, becoming the first woman to be a vice president, first black woman obviously, woman of color. The fact that she's an HBCU grad has been all over the news, all over everybody's consciousness, and finally put the rest of what we've all known as HBCU grads, that our institutions are premier institutions and uh, have been vital to Black people and Black Americans. So where do, do you think we are at now? With finally, have we crossed this level or you know HBCUs are ready to thrive, not
1: only just survive. Well we'll look absolutely. As a matter of fact, we've known it. We're both HBCU graduates. Uh our family HBCU graduates. Uh our my children are getting ready to go to HBCUs. Uh, and and we teach and we've both taught at HBCUs. And we know the quality, right? We know what HBCUs do for African Americans. Absolutely. Typically also do for the world, right? So you know, because when you look at, I I, I like the title this week as social engineers. I mean, when you look at what HBCU graduates have done to change the social landscape of not just America, but the world. I mean, it's it it, it speaks volumes, and we're finally getting the credit for it. Now, keep in mind, Dr. Martin Luther King, HBCU graduate, Jesse Jackson, HBCU graduate.
0: Right, the mm-hmm.
1: list goes on and on, and those just a few that I just named, but the list goes. On and on, but in this landscape, when you talk about the new political landscape, first and foremost, Biden Vice President uh, Harris. Right, key players, key
0: players have made a difference in this.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, one step away from the the the, the White House, right? Actually, in the White House as Vice President of our of our great country. Right. Then look at the great work that Stacey Abrams has done, right? in getting out the vote, Spelman graduate. Also look at the great work that the mayor of Atlanta has done, Keisha Lesbos, Damn you In Florida A&M, right. university graduate. And then U.S. Senator, African-American, male, U.S. First. out of Georgia. First.
0: Oh, come on, come on, you know. Morehouse, Morehouse grad, and then to, 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 to mention the one who actually <laughs> made it possible for Biden, gave the regeneration
1: in his campaign, you got James Clyburn, South Carolina State. South Carolina State, absolutely. You know, so the list goes on and on and on, Will. And one thing that we're bringing out today is that if you haven't noticed, now you got to stand up and take notice. HBCUs have always been here making change. And not only are we making change, but we're here to stay, to continue making change in the right direction for our country.
0: You know, one of the things I loved about you know Kamala Harris when she took the oath of office, she used the same Bible that Thurgood Marshall oh, used when he uh, became the first uh, black uh, chief justice member of the Supreme Court. Thurgood Marshall, HBCU grad from my alma mater,
1: Lee University. University.
0: They- That's right. <laughs> That's right. V. As well as he's he's Alex, and as well as he was a Howard Law grad. So Wait a minute is is, it, is is that Lincoln in Missouri or no? No, this is V V <laughs> Lincoln, the first, the mother of them all, first HBCU founded in eighteen fifty four, of which all came after the Lincoln University. But uh, Thurgood as well as uh Langston Hughes is a, is a alum of Lincoln as well. But Thurgood also is an alum of uh, Howard Law, which back in those times you African American. Uh, Howard was the first law school and, and one of the few only law schools that a lot of African-Americans are able to. Practice.
1: Absolutely. And look, we've had other African-American lawyers that were able to cross over into PWIs and primarily the ones that were more uh, more private, more liberal. Of course, Paul Robeson comes to mind, you know, who was a great uh, thespian. Right. Uh, along with being a, a strong
0: connection uh, to Lincoln University, Paul Robinson used to be a football coach at Lincoln. His father was a Lincoln
1: man, yes. absolutely, and that's a great story within itself. What I, what I, who I believe is a true Renaissance man, African American Renaissance man in our yeah. time, you know. So again, you know, just as we're talking, Will, I mean, we didn't even plan to talk about Paul Robeson, right? But right. because of HBCUs, he rises to the top. And one of the great things I love about, again, one, that I love about our institutions. You know, I'm a Southern University, two times overgraduate, Southern University undergrad, Southern University Law Center, is that we make the conscious decision to come to an environment to where we have an opportunity for some of the best and the brightest of us can come together and live together, learn together, and a lot of great ideas, a lot of great partnerships, a lot of great uh, partners in professions came out of use right. those time periods in the dorms, those time periods in, in the quad, those time periods on the yard. You know, where we could talk about and generate, you know, our our ideas and really where a lot of these movements came out.
0: of. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I know this has been a pet peeve of <laughs> yours as well is people who are not familiar, you know, a lot of Black people will say, well, HBCUs, it's not the real world. You want to be in a world where you got diversity, so forth and so on. It doesn't prepare you for the real world. And, and again, you hear that when you do hear that, particularly because of Black people, you hear it from people who don't know anything about that environment. And in fact, when you go to an HBCU, what with the diversity that you get is learning about the diversity that exists within the black community. I remember coming out, of, coming out of Brooklyn, New York, right? And the most I had heard coming out of Brooklyn, New York in the 80s about go-go music was Chuck Brown's okay. I Feel Like Bustin' Loose. Now, if you know anything <laughs> about Chuck Brown, you know that I Feel Like Bustin' Loose was a commercial, that wasn't even go, 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 go. That right. was commercial <laughs> Chuck Brown breakthrough, you know. Uh-uh. I'll get down to Lincoln and you got students coming from. DC coming from Baltimore, coming yeah. from all parts of the country, coming from Africa, coming from the Caribbean. And you get this whole mix of the yeah. diaspora, all the diversity that exists in our community. So it was at Lincoln that I first real got it got a real introduced introduction to the full culture of go go music. Yeah. Or then you in which all of these things and I just mentioned music because music who, you know, these things are really endemic to any, any culture. But when you get to experience all of these different types of people, yeah. I've heard so many people come to realize that you, we learn about ourselves. That's right. We learn That's about right. who we are and in learning about yourself, you get this level of confidence about your place in the world and how you can make a difference.
1: Now, well, you hit something on the, on, a nail on the head there when you talk about building confidence. Um, I I want to talk about the diversity of our our community in just a moment. Uh, But building on confidence, you know, it was at our HBCUs where I was told I could be the next great this. I could be the next great that. Right. It was that encouragement that I received from professors, from mentors that said, I can do this. not saying, oh, well, you know, nobody's ever done that before. I'm not sure if you have a family pedigree to do this or do that. But I was never told I couldn't do it. I was always told that I could and that I should and I, I could be the leader. So right. building that confidence when we go out into the world, OK, the rest of the world, where when you come against uh, adversity, when you come against people telling you can't do this or do that, right. pull back right to those that said that you could. You know, the vice president talks about her sisterhood, you know, of Alpha, Alpha Kappa Alpha uh, sorority you know, how she, you know, relied upon them and, and pulled back to them, right?
0: right?
1: And it also reminds me, you know, being from Louisiana myself, how she was raised, a great story about her being raised in Richmond, uh, California, mm. by a African-American female uh, from Louisiana, you know, who was like a godmother, right? And how that instilling her with, you know, being proud, being Black and proud in America and those things were tremendous. In her in her growth, because how could she become the DA in San Francisco? How she become the first uh, African American woman?
0: Gotta of, have confidence
1: in herself of California. How could right. she even say I'm going to run for Senate, become one of the first African American females uh, U.S. senators, the first out of California, and then hey, I could be president and end up becoming vice president? So is that confidence, you know? And I, I want to go back to the diversity of our community. You're right. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we have, you know, there's a book called The Great Migration that was written by, I think, Cheryl Wilkerson. I know her last name is Wilkerson, but she wrote the book and it talked about how African-Americans spread across uh, the, 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 the country.
0: From primarily the South, going North and going West for greater opportunities, right?
1: Exactly, and that's why you find, I know part of my mother's family, I, almost half, are in California. Right, mm-hmm. there for better opportunities, and you see, there's now diversity of African Americans adding our sprinkle, right? You know, because we always add that sprinkle of soul, that sprinkle of this to anywhere we go, right? So you see that diversity all in uh, California, all in Seattle, in in Washington, all in the Midwest, and and the like. Right. So when we come back together, right? So when we come back together. Now you have these uh what came out of a, a foundation of African-American culture in the South. Right. Now there is the difference, right? There's little differences. So you could even see it in jazz, right? You know, some people look at you know New Orleans jazz. Some people look at, of course, what the big bands did and Duke Ellington and all those on the East Coast. But go right. to uh Monk and all those <laughs> on the West Coast, you know, and what, what they added to it. So you see this diversity and we come to come back together. And it's like a regather.
0: Right. And in every community you see where, where Black folks uh, arrived at and built community, you see this different flavor of yeah. music, yeah. of culture, I of <laughs> art, of expression that comes out. Like, for example, you know, it's interesting, you mentioned Richmond, California. It was through going to HBCUs and kind of experiencing uh, people from New Orleans that I even understood and came to realize that there was a pipeline going from Louisiana to Richmond, California because of jobs in the defense industry.
1: Absolutely. And it's
0: like it's a lot of these and so you hear so much about Oakland and then you wonder, you know, what's this rhythm, what's this this flavor that's coming out of Richmond, California? And then you start yep. to dig into the history and learn. You said, you know, about learning about yourself and confidence. It was at Lincoln that I was introduced to journalism. You know, I had been exposed to it, obviously growing up in New York, but I became introduced to black journalism. Our wow. our history, our ancestry. It was where I first really learned about Freedom's Journal, the first black right. newspaper, 1827. Wow. And reading those words. You know, we aim to plead our own cause. That actually is where I became hooked on journalism wow. to understanding that our history. Our legacy: how, from the very beginnings, our people were fighting for liberation and believing in the promise of this country of being one of equality and for all, and we're at the forefront of fighting for it. And then you talk about opportunities. It was actually a journalism professor, uh, Dr. Joanne Gavin, now at at um, uh, James Madison University in Virginia who looked at me in the classroom, I tell the story about how she looked at me in the classroom and said, I'm going to make you the editor of the newspaper. You talk about black professors and the impact that they have on students and the opportunities you get to be able to be in a leadership position that you may not even be thinking about. She saw something in me I didn't necessarily see in myself. And that turned into a 20 plus year career in journalism where I was able to raise a family by my homes, mortgages, all of these things because somebody saw something in me and was willing to invest in me uh, in an environment at an HBCU. And that's often what you get there. As you mentioned earlier, we both taught at HBCUs and, and at predominantly Absolutely. white institutions. And it's not to say that you don't get that kind of one-to-one relationship with the professor, but oftentimes it's on the HBCU campus where you get that professor that also understands the legacy the, the right. importance and is as committed to you know like like the uh, great debaters who's um uh, uh actually the, the the uh a movie by um Denzel Washington he's talking about talk- Tolson, Tolson right. a Lincoln man right the great debaters right. <laughs> and he talks about i'm trying to save you from your own righteous mind you know
1: That's what it, that's what
0: you, that's what happens at hbc
1: Hey now, so you mentioned Tolson. So there's a Lincoln connection with the actual father, but then of course he goes to Wiley College to teach. But guess, right. who our, guess who was our history professor at Southern University? Who was that? Tolson's son. There you go. <laughs> you know, so so again, just hey, look. We we never planned to. talk. I never knew that Lincoln connection. We never planned to talk about this. But as we continue to talk, I mean, look at these great connections that we have, and yeah. and look. We talk about what HBCU graduates did to change the landscape, right, of the political landscape. But let's let's look at entertainment for a moment. Look at the Spike Lee's. Look at the Samuel L. Jackson, both Morehouse men, right? Right. right. Even Denzel Washington's son, who went to Morehouse, who's now making his stride in right. um in in entertainment.
0: Debbie Allen, Howard University. Felicia Rashad. Howard yeah, University. both
1: sisters right. graduated from Howard, right? And look. Let's look at uh, Oprah Winfrey, Tennessee right. State, right? right? So you had this—you had this black girl out of Mississippi who became this now worldwide movement. I mean, she's just not a personality; she's a movement. Whatever Oprah touches, turns to gold. You get a car, you get a car. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe she can come on the Lavis and Claville show and give a her- You Never know. You never know. Right. But, but again, it's all these great connections and. One great uh, journalist, Ed Bradley, comes to mind. You mentioned Pennsylvania. Of course, Cheney. Uh, Cheney, right. at the time, State College. Uh, I'm a huge fan of 60 Minutes and investigative journalism. And, you know, I think about him. You know, here's this guy.
0: A hero, yeah.
1: What am here? A- absolutely a, a juggernaut in journalism, a trailblazer. Got to start at HBCU. So, again, it's these types of things, Will, that I think now – The spotlight rightfully is on, but we've always known this. You know, we've always known this. And it's time for us to be more appreciative of it. It's time for us to speak it loud. And it's time for society to stand up. But I want to say something about diversity, not just of Black people, but of faculty. So HBCUs have been some of the most diverse faculty and still are today in America, right? So where PWIs may get one black professor here or one, one professor from this country, HBCUs have always had right. professors there. And there's a wonderful book, and hopefully we can talk about it more in depth with the author or going into the history, but it's called From Swastika to Jim Crow. Hmm. And it's about, it's a little history, little unknown history about Jewish scholars who escaped Nazi Germany. That found came to America because of the racism of Jewish people at that time. They found refuge at HBCUs. Man. So yes. you got a lot of HBCUs that have a uh phenomenal history, you know, with Jewish scholars from Germany and some that actually stayed and really made a name for themselves uh at those universities. One that comes to mind, of course, is uh is Tugaloo College, uh university where one of the great constitutional law professors, there stayed there for years, decades, and of course, there was a scholarship chair named after him. Now, right. African American political leaders were actually taught that with the Tougaloo, taught by him, and it was because of that connection and that love for the students. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, you're
0: right. The the schools themselves have a rich history and stories. Like, you know, I talk about obviously Lincoln University in Pennsylvania, but you have the the Lincoln University is in Jefferson City. That that university was founded by Buffalo Soldier. Wow. You know, we're at the root of founding that institution. So I absolutely have love for that institute. You got Wilberforce, which is the first black-owned and run HBCU. Because a lot of the schools were founded by white benefactors or white church-related. Uh, which is That's the right. case for Lincoln. Which is also the case for for Howard. You know, but you got Wilberforce, which is black-owned, the first black-owned, black-run HBC, right. so the schools themselves have, um, you know, powerful stories. You know, Bethune Cookman, Mary McLeod oh, yeah. Bethune, you know, was yeah. was, a, was a legend in terms tremendous. of tremendous, tremendous. So
1: it's the schools themselves Booker T. Have, Washington, have powerful, powerful. It, man, Booker That's T. Washington me. taking what he learned.
0: What he learned from Hampton went down to Tuskegee
1: and and, yeah.
0: and developed it and became a leader in black education. So well, these, these are greatest
1: leaders in education.
0: So these institutions, you know, I absolutely, you know, value, they're absolutely worth it. They're powerful American institutions. So, you know, as we wrap up, we look at this, what should our people do in terms of the HBCU story and continuing to shape, you know, the political landscape? What should our people
1: do? Well, again, stand up, be proud, graduate HBCUs, support our HBCUs. And it's not just supported with our dollars, with our positive coverage, but also with sending our greatest assets there—our family, our children. If if it is so, their choice. And I'll say this last thing, Will: as relates to HBCUs, keep in mind, not only are they needed today and relevant, but they are thriving now. Uh, There's been a whirlwind of philanthropy, uh, philanthropic giving to our institutions. Uh, So let's make sure that we continue that upward trend, because at the end of the day, we have an opportunity to educate ourselves. And that's the greatest gift I think that we can give, not just to ourselves, but our posterity uh, as we continue to live and pass through this earth.
0: Well, I absolutely love what you said about support, because as alums in any kind of institution, if the alums are not support the institution, then those who might, who are looking to support Educational endeavors, they're going to say, why should I support this institution if your alums are not supported? Absolutely. When you talk about what we should do as alums, we absolutely need to support our schools, support all HBCUs. Just cut the check. Support it with your time, talent and treasure. But if you can't, if you can't do it with your treasure, with your money, support it with your time, but absolutely support it with your money. Just cut the check. You know, whether you graduated or not, you know, and got your degree, you're still an alum, you went. And everybody's family, as we pointed out, in some way, shape, or form has been touched by an HBCU.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Take Thank us you. home, Eric. So look, that's a wrap for this week of Levis and Claville. Again, thanks to our producer, Ben Bailey, Behind the Controls. Join us each week as we bring it to you, straight with facts from a Black male perspective. Don't forget, follow us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and our website at And If you have a question, email us at lavisandclaville at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you. Until next time, we'll see you then.